Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm President and Professor of Old Testament here, and I'm joined by our Professor of New Testament Academic Dean, Dr. Tommy Keene, our Dean of Students and Professor of Old Testament, Dr. Peter Lee, our Professor of Systematic Theology and Translator of the recently released uh, work by Herman Bovink, Christianity and Science, that we are all holding in our hands as we speak, Dr. Grace Sutanto, and Dr. Paul Jean, Professor of New Testament and Senior Pastor at New City Presbyterian Church. It's been a while since we've been all together, brothers, uh, but it's good to be back with everybody. And we are continuing on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, where we're talking through each of the individual fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul lays out. Uh, as a picture or a profile of what the life of faith, the, the regenerate life, right, the, the life of the spirit, right, looks like. He's, he's laying out a, prescri- a profile, a description, um, and we're talking through what these individual fruit look like, and we've come to the one that is most commonly translated faithfulness. Now, of course, the Greek word there, pistis, can be translated both as faith or as faithfulness. So maybe that that raises the question, brothers, and let me pose that to uh, our New Testament brethren, first of all. Um, why go with faithfulness in your translation like the ESV does and not faith? What's the difference? Is there a distinction there? Is this a different, uh, you know, a difference without a distinction kind of thing or a distinction without a difference? Or is this a substantive translation decision? Well, as you know, that this can be both technical and controversial. So I'd like to pass that question to Dr. Paul Jean. Our professor of technicality and controversy. Also, you should give the response you gave earlier. It was perfect. <laughs> oh, no. Paul's <laughs> In the end breaking, the, breaking what, the third wall by talking about the fact that we've already talked about this. <laughs> Beforehand. Edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, okay, first of all, the word can be faith. It can be faithfulness. If you translated this faith at this point in this list of the fruit, that I, I'm com- coming at it just from an English reader, you'd go, huh, you'd pause for a mi- minute. Well, why, why go with faithfulness? Yeah, I think actually that pause is a big part of it. The pause, and especially if you're trying to kind of translate, and you've got a list of possible meanings, and that's what we have here, pistis is not a technical term. Mm-hmm. It can mean several different things. And so we've got a list that the lexicon gives us of possibilities. And it's your job as a translator to pick the one on that list that just fits, that, that creates the least yeah. friction, which is a little counterintuitive. You know, in translation, we often think I want to pick the biggest one. I want to pick the, the grandest meaning or the one that radically transforms everything I expected about the verse. But actually, that's an indication when you do that, that you're not really paying attention to the context. Mm-hmm. And that, that pause, if, if it were translated faith, that pause is either generated by, oh, I learned it as faithfulness, or it's generated by the fact that this one, this way of translating doesn't match the context. And mm-hmm. I would submit that it's that second one that, that's going on here. All mm-hmm. of these other... Uh, descriptions feel like constitutive virtues. You know, patience is something that mm-hmm. I am throughout my life. It's not something that I was 
it's not you know a uh, an act but it is a virtue that affects the breadth of my mm. character kindness kindness gentleness mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. these aren't one time acts they are which is what we use faith to mean especially when we're talking about saving faith in in its more technical sense uh, but rather these are virtues and so i would put this list of fruits of the spirit alongside first peter uh, excuse me second peter 1 5 through 10ish um, and other virtues lists that we have in the New Testament, and and faithfulness then is a virtue that flows from faith. That's a really helpful distinctive. What what you just said there too, and you started this off. So for the person who maybe hasn't thought through this a lot, you said faith is not a technical term, and you mean something by that really specifically. You know, in, in systematic theology, um, we are a defining or assigning specific definitions to terms. So when you're talking about faith in, for instance, soteriology, it has a specific meaning. And yet that doesn't mean that every time the word that's translated faith, uh, either in Hebrew or in Greek, that those words, that doesn't mean they're always talking about that technical term, that that technical concept that shows up in systematics. And so when you say faith here, we got to remember, don't you can't just go jump right from your systematic theology into this passage and say, oh, this means everything that my systematic theology passage is talking about when it talks about faith. So, and that's true of a lot of words. I mean, the word knowledge, right? Uh, uh, the word justification can be used in mm-hmm. the Bible. Words that are translated into those terms can be used in a variety of different ways. But as soon as you step into that systematic space, you're assigning a specific meaning to it. Mm-hmm. But you can't just go back and forth without paying attention to context, I mean, paying attention to how it's being used. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense, I think, Tommy. The, uh, you know, I think, um, as, as I mentioned, you know, I, I have been very formed in my systematic theology by John Murray. I will be um, by uh, Herman Bobink via Grace Sutanto. <laughs> Peter, Dr. Lee is, is trolling his colleague. I troll nobody. I love everybody. D- dear dear listener, <laughs> he's smiling at the man sitting to his right as he says this. I just chuckle at the fact that he keeps holding up that book. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was I saying? Let the record show that Gray has no book that he is holding up. <laughs> I come empty-handed. <laughs> Empty-handed because you handed out all the books. Yeah, because he gave us all the books. Tommy, what you said was really good. And I think it's helpful because, uh, you know, as you were talking about, these virtues here are all things that we see manifested within us uh, because that's the fruit of the Spirit in us. Um, If we translate it as faith, you see, uh, and, and at this point, you know, I found Murray helpful because he talked about faith as being extrospective, I think is the term that he used. It it makes you look outside of yourself Mm -hmm. to Christ, but that's not the direction here of Galatians 5. Mm. It's making us look kind of inwardly in manifestations of what the Spirit is doing within us. So to translate this as faithfulness, you see, makes perfect sense. It's consistent with um, with what the Spirit is doing within us, you see. Again, if it's faith, then faith is making us look outside of us. It's making us the nature of faith and the reason why uh, Murray says that we are justified by faith and only by faith 
is because faith is the only virtue that makes you look outside of yourself towards someone else. So mm. here, it's uh, uh, it's the work of the Spirit that you see inwardly within us, manifested within us. The direction is not outward. It's more, you know, what the Spirit is doing within you. Hmm. Yeah, I like that kind of synergy there because what faith does, as I look to Christ as as Savior and Lord and as I try to trust in Him uh, and the path of life, I trust in Him for salvation, but I tr- also trust in the path that He tread that produces in me a corresponding mirrored faithfulness as I entrust myself to a faithful creator while doing good kind of idea. I suppose, you know, as, as New Testament exegetes here, how would you say when you're looking within and you're looking for faithfulness, how does that differ from perseverance, let's say? And how does that differ from the other virtues of gentleness and patience? Because patience has that idea mm-hmm. of constancy, in the midst of suffering and trusting yourself to the creator while doing good can also look like patience. What is the contribution of faithfulness here? How would, how would you distinguish the two? I mean, they're all very connected, I suppose, but to get really granular. I think I'd start there is, is something that we've kind of noticed about all the fruits that they, they heap on top of one another, but they're not, in, they're not terribly distinct. Like they all, there, there's overlap between all of the fruits. And so I wouldn't want to, in a kind of highly precise way, mm-hmm. and, and this is a debate on the passage, so I don't want to like declare, but uh, my instinct would not be, given the kind of list we have, is to precisely delineate the way in which goodness is different than kindness, but that the two are similar terms that overlap and create a, a bigger whole. Similarly, faith patience and perseverance, although I don't think perseverance is on our list, but it's on other lists. Mm -hmm. Um, I would not, or faithfulness, I should say, perseverance, I wouldn't, uh, patience, I wouldn't make a very tight, precise division between those, but as different perspectives on on a whole. Yeah, I think, again, it's, um, as, as much as we, as soon as we start talking about this, I pop back to, you know, Paul in Romans, Romans chapter four, citing Genesis fifteen, because I'm trying. To, in my mind, I start developing. Okay, so what's what's how, how's this idea developed over time? And I think there's a sense in sort of biblical theological terms. So as we blow it out more broadly, faithfulness can cover a pana, you know a panoply of fruit, like the, the whole of these fruit. In, in a way, faithfulness could cover all of that. It seems like Paul is using it in a specific way here. Um, but you, know, you go back to Genesis 15, where we have this idea of faith, according to Paul, you know, sort of being singled out as a pun, kind of a pun, was a punctiliar event that is the undergirding of salvation, not the kind of ongoing fruit of the regeneration or of, of faith. You know, so Abraham is doing all kinds of faithful things throughout Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, faithful and unfaithful things. And yet there is something in Genesis 15 that's kind of identified as the groundwork of his salvation and his reception of covenant of the covenant promises, right, from the Lord, or covenant, you know, ratification that happens in Genesis 15. And Paul is very clear, like, it's, it's the faith. It's that Abraham believed and trusted, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And that comes before other kind of covenantal righteousness, like 
circumcision that happens in Genesis 17. So Paul's making using Genesis 15 to 17 as a real clear moment that has to be identified and its timing matters. Whereas I think here what we see in Paul is we're seeing something more like the general life of faith, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about um, the ongoing durative state of being in faith, of being faithful, right? And in English, we make that distinction between faith and faithfulness. You know, and I think in, in English, that's, that's an important distinction to make. One is kind of more punctiliar and one is more, you know, we might say one's more perfect and one's more non-perfective if we're talking about grammars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're shaking your head, Doctor. I'm sorry. It's just uh, the ongoing debate of what exactly the Hebrew perfect. Yeah, I, does I don't want to get into Hebrew so, tense but, system. But you brought it up. You brought it up. <laughs> Footnote alert. Footnote alert. <laughs> Fair enough. Paul is is just like he's on the edge of his seat. He's dying. He keeps trying to jump in <laughs> with yeah. his two thoughts. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, just my two cents on this. <laughs> Like when when I hear um, the word faithful, at least uh, in the context of Galatians, I can't help but hear it in light of like uh, the first chapter when Paul says, like, I'm shocked that you've turned away from the gospel and the one who has called you. Mm, That's good. You know, and so Paul brings together like faith in the objective gospel, but also Mm -hmm. the one uh, faithfulness to the gospel, but also the one who has called us. And so. I wonder, like when Paul talks about being faithful here, um, if that's in the background. Because throughout this entire time, he keeps saying, I can't believe you've turned away from Jesus. And so for me, it seems to have that, seems to have that uh, sense to it. But if you read it in the immediate context, I think it could be more general because it's uh, contrasted with the works of the flesh. And so I hear it uh, faithful in that sense. How is it contrasted from the works of the flesh? Which particular work of the flesh? No, just in terms of being a, like a general list. So that's why I'm not sure I would give it that much meaning, like in terms of uh, chapter one. But because uh, if you just hear it as like a vice virtue contrast list, then yeah, it could be more general. But if you hear it in light of like Galatians as a whole, it does have that sense of like being faithful to the gospel and to the one who has called you the yeah. grace of the gospel. And maybe a distinction we could make is you're not saved. It would be improper, especially given the way these words have become attached to various systematic theological concepts. It would be improper to say that we're saved by faithfulness. We're saved by faith, uh, and and we can refer to what that mm-hmm. means with the confessional standards. Uh, they have a chapter on saving faith, what that is. Um, we're saved by faith, not by faithfulness. But there is no salvation without faithfulness. That faith, mm-hmm. genuine saving faith, inevitably produces in, uh, perseverance, faithfulness, love, these kinds of things as part of its natural work in in our faith wrought union with Jesus Christ. It, it naturally results in the Spirit being implanted with us, and inevitably then produces the fruits of the spirit Mm -hmm. yeah that comes out even in the letter where paul says he believes that the galatians have genuine faith and because of that they will be faithful Mm -hmm. so that idea is even in the letter because it wouldn't be improper to say that one of the effects or the fruit or the consequences of the spirit is faith right that's what our doctrine of effectual calling is and regeneration and saving faith that comes out of regeneration 
and yet I think the point that we're making here is that in this context, he seems to be talking about something a little bit more broad in terms of application because he's including also all these other sort yeah. of descriptive terms, patience, kindness, gentleness. Well, how would this translate just in terms of like, when I hear this, uh, the way it actually looks like is, uh, is that being faithful means you're gonna be very loyal to Jesus in a way that this world may not understand. So mm -hmm. how do you understand this in terms of like um, actual life? And um, one of the things I think a lot about is, this really highlights the personal quality of our faith, that we are supremely loyal to Jesus in yeah. all of mm -hmm. life. Yeah, the relational aspect, yeah. that it's not, and that's so important to remember about the, the character of the Christian life and what Christianity is. It's not a set of propositions. It includes propositions, includes propositional content that we have to believe, but our faith isn't in justification. Our faith isn't in sanctification. It's in Christ the corresponding result of which is faithfulness to Christ as our head, Lord, Savior, friend, brother, all of these kinds of things. Yeah, it's an interesting attribute because, um, you know, our faithfulness then has an external look to it, but really the pulse of our culture is like you have to be faithful to yourself, you know, like be mm. authentic. And that's why in our cultural context, this, well, all of the fruit of the Spirit, but this one is, very striking because it's not even being true to yourself necessarily, loyal to yourself, faithful to whatever's like desires going on, but it's being truly faithful to the one outside of you, even if what he demands runs contrary to what you might feel mm -hmm. naturally. Yeah, I am not my own, but yeah. belong body and soul. Yeah. And that's that distinguishes it from these other fruit as well, because the other ones are focusing on kind of particular dispositions towards the Lord and towards others. Whereas this one seems to be, you know, really focusing on you know, when we talk about what faith is, faith is what content, right? It's assent and it's trust, right? Fundamentally faithfulness then is living out that, right? You, 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 it's, it's, it's this act of living out the thing that this, this thing that is your saving faith. And in marriage, like we know what that looks like, faithfulness or fidelity to your marriage, right, is living like your spouse is your spouse, living like there is a special bond covenant there, living in such a way it changes the way you treat other people, it changes the way you, you live, your goals in life, it conforms your values. And that, it, so in the Christian faith, you know, we, we look at it similarly. What is it, I remember one time I heard a pastor saying in a sermon, he kind of laid out the gospel and he said, imagine if this was true. You know, at the end, and and and, the, and he said he said, and I, and I mean it that way. Imagine it's true. I don't mean, I don't mean uh, you know this is true or believe this is true. Or you fool. You know, he said, I, you know, imagine because if this is really true, think about all the things that that changes in your life. If there really is a Lord and Savior who's rec reconciled you to the Creator of the universe, if there really is everlasting life, if your sins really are forgiven, if there really is this lover and author of your salvation who is Christ, you know, what does your life look like in response to that truth? And yes, it's going to involve love and patience and kindness and goodness, you know, but you know, the, this category of faithfulness seems to get a little bit more for me to kind of living in, in positive acknowledgement, living in positive affirmation of those truths, mm -hmm. and, know, which is significant. It's a little different than what we've been talking about so far. I think the word loyalty that Paul 
I just used just now is really useful because there's a kind of stability to faithfulness. There's a stability to fidelity. So when, Scott, you mentioned fidelity to your spouse, it means a kind of unchangingness, a kind of immutability, a kind of fidelity that says that commitment to your spouse is unwavering despite my natural desires or the circumstances around me, right? So when I think of faithfulness, I think about that sort of anchor that is the non-negotiable, that even when there are other external or internal desires that get in the way, you're not even going to think about wavering on that fundamental commitment that remains unchanging. Mm -hmm. So when I think about the faithfulness of God to us, I think about his immutability, his constancy. And in the same sense, when I think about our faithfulness, it means that no matter what happens, we still remain loyal to this God that is now also faithful towards us. Mm. One of the things that I think is distinct about faithfulness is that it is always directed towards we, we the, actually some of the fruit all of the fruits have this kind of aspect to them but faithfulness especially is defined towards the other i'm faithful to someone and the nature of that faithfulness changes relative to the kind of relationship i have with that other person so uh, faithfulness to my spouse looks different than faithfulness to my friends, mm-hmm. which looks different to faithfulness to my colleagues who supported me while writing a book. Yeah. And the various <laughs> the, wow. the various duties That usually shows up like in the acknowledgement section. The acknowledgement section, section, right? usually. Yeah. That's how you usually. demonstrate faithfulness and gratitude. To your, and gratitude to your colleagues. And loyalty. Uh, you know, and the, love. And that love, matter. that's yeah. right. Huh. Your 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 duties and relationship changes on the basis of that relationship. And here's what I think is striking about faithfulness as we have it defined in Galatians 5, as we have it defined in Christ, is it's, so who is Christ to me? Who is Jesus to me? And I think the rich thing about this is he is all things. Like he is, mm. you know, think about all of the ways in which the Bible describes my relationship with Jesus. Jesus is my friend. He's my brother. Uh, and so he, there's an affection, a natural brotherly affection that's required. Uh, he is my Lord and King, so loyalty is a better word to describe what that looks like. He is the bride, you know, he is the bridegroom and I am the bride. Like all of these mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. analogies that we see in our own lives attached to Christ. And, and so he is, we're to be faithful to him in all of the ways yeah. that that characterize faithfulness generally in our lives. Mm-hmm. Even the... Uh, Genesis 15, uh, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness thing that we were talking that You know, you mentioned earlier, Scott. Uh, uh, Paul interprets that in a way as what you said, Tommy. It is a faith that produces faithfulness mm. because he, um, you know, James, James 2 mentions that in the context of the sacrifice of Isaac. Mm-hmm. So here is Abraham who believed, and, and it's interesting. He takes that Genesis 15, 6, which is an isolated, you know, event in Abraham's life, but he uses that as a way to portray his entire life. It, it is an act. His life is one that lived by faith in the Lord, but his faith produced faithfulness to what the Lord asked him to do. So, in the case of Isaac, the Lord um, commands him to sacrifice his son, and it's his faith in the Lord that led him to be faithful to that uh, to that end. Um, and so even there you still see uh, how uh, it is a faith. So faith, looking outside yourself, faithfulness um, are very conceptually uh, similar uh, type of ideas that you could see uh, interconnected to each other. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
an unapologetic side note, Tommy, the fact that you mentioned that faithfulness requires acknowledging the kind of relation that you have with the object is really useful against this rhetoric that you hear nowadays about love is love. Like, we just have to affirm all love because mm-hmm. love is love no matter who you're loving, which just is incoherent because, like you were saying, you don't love your parent the same way you love your spouse or to love your children, right? So you need to actually delineate and delimit the kind of love that you have and express toward that thing in accordance with the natural thing that it is. That's good. So to love someone with the same sex, for, with the same sort of love that you as you would a spouse would be a category error, the same way that you would love your sibling, right? Shouldn't be the same as you would love your parent. Uh, in fact, we consider it tragic when we say, well, that brother became like a parent because no. we had an absent father, or we no. had an absent mother, right? No, that's not something that happens in a positive context. No, that's a tragedy. And so mm-hmm. to say that love is love actually begs the question. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, you, it's an incoherent idea. It's a circular idea. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I think, I mean, this uh, it, it's important because it is faithfulness in God to God in Christ. And yet Jesus is very quick to say, and this has effects in the world around you with the church because that's my body. They will know you by the way that you love one another because you're united in my spirit. Um, I think oftentimes Christians think, well, my faith is in God and only God and the church is a big mess and, 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 and an annoyance and, and a hindrance. And yet Jesus, as you said earlier, refers to the church as his body, as his, his lovely bride, uh, of which he is the bridegroom. And so I think for Christians, you know, our faithfulness will probably most practically, I mean, in Sunday morning worship, it's going to be directed towards the Lord directly. But most practically, and probably the majority of the time, our faithfulness will be expressed in the way that we treat those around us, mm-hmm. particularly those who are the body of Christ, because our faithfulness to him extends to them. And... Um, you know, live it. That that's going to change the way that you live in terms of how you treat the church and how you think about the church. Because is the church perfect? Absolutely not. You know, there's there's a constant tendency to kind of recognize the embarrassing, naive, unsophisticated things the church does, and yet that I think is a real challenge to a lot of Christians to say, wait a minute, your faithfulness finds expression in the way that you love right. the bride that Christ loves. Right, and mm-hmm. that's not that's not ancillary to it. It's just, it's it's grounded in my relationship with yeah. Jesus and the Father, because I am a child of the Father, because I'm a child of Christ, therefore I'm brother and sister Mm. with everyone who also calls them Father. And so it's incumbent upon me in my faithfulness to my Heavenly Father to love the sisters and brothers that he's put as part of one family. Yeah, and it's not being Pollyannish. I'm not acting like they're not that's not hard to do. No, no, brothers and sisters are super annoying. Yeah. Well, and, and Jesus himself, I mean, here's God's MO, you know, to you, to all the Christians out there, I think we have to remember, God's MO is that he picks the lowly and the weak. And if you're a Christian, that means that's you too. <laughs> so Jesus says, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. I think Christians get annoyed, like, oh, Christians get in the way of Christ. If people could just see Christ, they'd love Christ, but it's Christians who get in the way. And, and no doubt there have been Christians who fail publicly, and bring you know shame to the name of Christ, and yet with that said, we have to remember that Christ came knowing who we were when He chose us, right? Knowing who you were, Paul says, not many wise, not many noble, um, you know, not many cool, not many sophisticated, not 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 many Washingtonians, 
maybe, you know. So Christ knew who we were when he called us, and we're called to be faithful to him in the way that he loves his, his bride, and that includes you. As, as we kind of wrap up, one closing thought is, okay, and I think this is just true of all of the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, I get what it is. I get, what, get what's required of me. Mm. And I'm not meeting that standard. I, f- I don't feel like I'm a faithful person. I'm constantly, you know, bitter about yeah. the, the people around me, or I'm constantly yeah. wandering from, from God. What do we do with that, and how do we grow in it? And uh, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts. I keep going back to that line. I think it's in First Timothy well, somebody here wrote a commentary on the pastorals, um, <laughs> where it's a, a faithful, it's a trustworthy saying, uh, uh, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. But if we deny him, he will deny us because he cannot deny himself. That There's this kind of tension there. And what I'm required to do in the midst of that tension, when I, if I feel my faithlessness is to turn again, you know, your John Murray quote, to turn outside of myself and to look to Christ as the truly faithful one, find him faithful to me, and then seek to put that into practice. No, I think, okay, I think it's a really good question. Um, and I, I, I don't want to promote this like third way approach to everything, but there is there are tendencies where on the one hand, um, I, I think we should actually be a little unsettled if after many, many years of professing faith, the fruit of the Spirit seems egregiously absent. I, I think that <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we don't want to too quickly say, and this is why the gospel is so, well, I want to be careful of the way I phrase that. Um, you don't want to cheapen grace and say, well, it's not a big deal because you know Jesus died for my sins. Because as we've been highlighting throughout this um, like uh, podcast, if you have genuine faith, it should eventually lead to fruit. So I think that it is a little dangerous to like disregard the absence of fruit altogether. But then I think we've also said, if you genuinely are broken by what you perceive to be like a lack of fruit, I think that in itself is the work of the Spirit where mm you can be so affected that God is so faithful to me and why am I still so faithless? I think that like is a kind of spiritual awakening that you cannot have unless you are regenerate. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it requires a lot of pastoral wisdom. Um, yeah, so, uh, ha- but having said that, having said that, I would still always err on first and foremost pointing people to the sufficiency of what Jesus has done so that any fruit that comes about is ultimately um, in response to the good news versus a sense of like self-improvement. Yeah, that's good. I mean, the practical side of this is there's always, I I think that the the fact that there's always consolation and conviction in the gospel, right? The consolation is you are saved by your faith. And that's it, not by works at all, so that no person can boast. And you can even give thanks. God God even gave you the faith you have. That wasn't your good sense or reason that brought you to that conclusion. And then on the other side, recognize the conviction of it. So therefore, if I'm always struggling with doubt and there's no victories in that, that is something that after, you know, in a, over the course of the Christian life might, 
you know, is worth going to the Lord and saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. Is there something, are there some commitments that I'm not aware of that are drawing me away from you? Are there some, is there some reason why I continually wrestle with faith? If so, please forgive me. See, you know, like the psalmist, see if there's a hurtful way in me, lead me in your everlasting way. You know, is, is there a way to be, can, can you strengthen me? I think of the, the father praying, Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Or Peter and John 6, you know, on the, on, the, on the verge of leaving with the other apostles and saying, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Um, that's faith. That's what true faith looks like. And you're going to have experiences in life where you will be brought to that place. And yet I think it's also, like you said, Paul, it's worthwhile to say, but I don't want to always be living in that place. I want to, I want to enjoy full confidence in the loving love and knowledge of Christ. You know, I want to, I want to be bursting with zeal for the Lord in whom I have my faith, the author and perfecter of my faith, you know? So it's, it's, there's that consolation and conviction in it Mm -hmm. that that's so important in the gospel. And you do have to have a pastoral wisdom to be able to figure that out and discern that. And that, I think, is the optimal word there is pastoral wisdom. Uh, Scott, you mentioned Paul said the same mm-hmm. thing because uh, I'm, I'm really with you, uh, Paul. You know when you believe, but you can't really quantify love or patience. Uh, you, you know, one of the tricky things for me has always been how do you gauge that? How do you... Um, uh, how do you measure that? You you, you kind of uh, know it. Uh, you you kind of sense it, and it's tricky. And sometimes we're really discouraged when we don't see it. Um, and but Paul, you said something. And I think it's so an important thing that sometimes in our uh, spiritual discernment, once we are awakened to our own depravity and corruption, it's easy for us to come to terms with just how truly corrupt we are. Mm. It looks like we're making steps backwards. You're not. You're just coming to realize just, yeah. you know, just how, how uh, depraved we are. And there is a spiritual wisdom in that. So it may feel like you're regressing. You, you're really not. You're, you're just coming to, uh, to uh, understand um, you know, the, uh, the corruption that is within us. You know, yeah. Tim Keller of uh, very happy memory used to say the same thing. You don't really realize uh, uh, just how sinful you are. You are by far worse than you think that you yeah. are. Mm-hmm. But yeah. as soon as you grasp that, then you realize just how much that's, more dearly loved yeah, you are. That's and, so good to remember. Yeah, I, I mean, I realize that now here in, in age 48, I look back on times when I was quite bold in the gospel, and I realize when I remember it, I'm like, man, I had a lot of blind spots. You know, and now uh, now as I get older and the blind spots are removed through sanctification, sometimes I even feel like, man, am I less bold now than I was before? I'm like, no, it's just you're, you're aware of, yeah. of how short you fall and how great Christ's mm-hmm. grace is to you. And it's if you're just looking at kind of surface confidence, then you might miss what's actually going on, the development of real faith. Yeah. yeah. You know, faith in light of truth about yourself and about the world. And Paul, you also said, uh, and I thought it was really, it's such a good one because you, you, when you read this laundry list of, um, of and these parading of virtues uh, that we're supposed to manifest and you sense how you don't, uh, the, I think the, the, the default that we fall into is we have to whip ourselves into some type of a frenzy to manifest it. And, and I don't know if that's necessarily the, the thing. I think mm-hmm. what you said was to, to look to Christ, and as you look to Christ, uh, the Spirit is now 
working these things within you as a fruit organically. And I think that's exactly right. The, the, the mistake I think we make is that we look at our faith as opposed to look into Christ, yeah. and that's not the same thing. And yeah. maybe returning back to Murray for a second, you know, Murray once said that we are saved really not by our faith. We are saved by Christ, and he saves us through faith. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same thing. And, and I think that our, our security is always by looking to Jesus, not necessarily anything within ourselves. And, uh, but by looking to Christ, you manifest these things all the more, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seeking first the kingdom of God in a, in, a, in a manner of speaking. So here's our faith that, again, produces faithfulness by looking to the object of our faith. That's great. Well, thanks, brothers, for this conversation. It's always illuminating and challenging for me, so it's great to have this. Look forward to being again and talking about these fruit in the uh, weeks ahead. Hope you all at home have a good summer and a fruitful summer, and we look forward to being with you again. Until then, take care.